Well, good morning. It is so good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Uh, for those of you who are, are visiting with us, I want to echo Ronnie's uh, welcome uh, that he made the announcements this morning. It is, it is such a, a pleasure to have you with us. You are, you are our guests, and we, we are very honored that you have chosen to be here with us today. And we hope that you will see through, through our examples and through our words that we are a people that long to exalt Christ through the lives that we live and through the words that we speak. And if there is anything that you hear, anything out of, uh, that is said or anything that you see done today and you think to yourself, you know, I'm, just, I'm not for sure that's something Christ would have said. I'm not sure that's something Christ would have done. We would count you as our greatest friend if you would bring that to our attention so that we could study together, so that we could draw closer to our God. Now, as we, as we have been talking the last couple of, of Sundays, uh, we're going to continue in this concept of growth. And we began this, con- this conversation uh, a few Sundays back. We started talking about authority and, and about the church that, that Christ built. Uh, whenever we go out into the garden, everybody, Richard and Judy, been bringing in uh, lots of vegetables lately, and and uh, we are very thankful for that. But when uh, and and I think every one of us has probably seen as many cucumbers as we've ever seen in our lives. But when Richard put those cucumber seeds in the ground, he wasn't expecting to get tomatoes. He wasn't expecting to get corn. He knew when he put cucumbers ground, if, if, if anything came up, it was going to be a cucumber. And whenever we desire to grow the church, and we're, we're helping uh, and working to serve the Lord and see His, His church, His kingdom grow, we want to know that we are planting the seeds that are going to result in Christ's church, the church that belonged to Him, the church that He died to purchase, the church that He created. We don't want the church of man. We don't want the church of opinion, the church of tradition. And so we look to God for the authority. It is His, char- it, it, it is his church, and so He is the one that has ultimate authority over it, uh, Jesus being the head. We also looked at last week at overcoming challenges. Anytime that we decide this is what I'm going to, what, what we are going to do, we are going to start serving God. We're going to put our best foot forward in walking in the path that Christ set before us. You better believe that Satan is like that dog on the porch. He's going to perk his ear up. He's going to say, "There's something that I can do to try and 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 mess that up. I'm going to do anything that I can." And that's what we we looked at last week. We saw that that uh, Satan did that to the apostles whenever. Whenever Paul wrote that he had had intentions to to go somewhere, but but Satan had gotten in the way of that effort, he had hindered that. And so there will be challenges that we must face. And some of those challenges we talked about were challenges that could be overcome by remembering what it is we are to be doing, remembering the work that God has set before us, to evangelize, to take the message to the lost, to build up and to edify the church that that he has created and to help those needy saints, those saved saints. Uh, saved members of the church to be there to assist them and to provide benef- uh, 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 love to them and, and need in their time of need. So today we're going to continue with this look at growth and we're going to consider some of the causes of growth. There's some principles that are, that are directly tied to growth. Because that's what the Lord desires. He desires His church to grow. And if you'll turn over to the, uh, to the book of Ephesians for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 4, And read with me verses 11 through 16. We talked about this passage last Sunday. We're going to read it again. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, saying, Gave some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, 
for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That right there alone tells us it was God's intention in providing these things that they were to serve a purpose. They were to, they were to give the saints what they needed to build up, to edify the body of Christ. Verse 13, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every kind of, well, excuse me, with every wind of doctrine, but the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, there's our authority again, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What did God intend for us to do? He intended for us to be building up the church. And notice he, what he said there in verse, in, in, in verse 13. We're given a measuring stick as to what it is that we are to be building it up towards. One is we're not going to be measuring it against the church from across the street or the church down the road or the church in another country or county. We're not measuring it according to, to what man is doing, to what the world is doing. We're not measuring it up to what the, the leaders of the church think is what it should be. We are measuring it to what verse 13 says, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now I think having that measuring stick, we can all pretty well agree that we're never going we're, we're never going to be able to sit down and say you know what we finally reached it we've finally grown the church big enough we don't we, we we've grown, finally grown the church strong enough we don't need to grow anymore i think with that measuring stick we can realize there's always room for growth and we need to be focused on that and working on that and remembering that it is god's intent for us to grow and that he is desiring to help us grow and that he has provided us with with tools to to uh, lead in that development Colossians chapter 2, verse 19 also goes on to talk about this. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 19 says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and in ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Not only does God desire for us to grow, it is, it is no doubt that He is the one that provides increase through our connection with Him as the head. And so we read these things and we see it as God's desire. God has given us things that we need to help us to grow. Through connection to His Son Jesus as the head of the church, he, he gives increase to the church. He helps it to grow. Then why is this not an automatic thing? Why do we see churches not growing? Because what do we see? Sometimes we see churches that are becoming stagnant. Sometimes we see churches, we made a mistake, we, we have a, a radio flyer wagon in the backyard and we left it out one day and, and it rained and it filled up with water and I, I saw it out there and I, I thought I should probably go dump that out but I didn't and it wasn't very long before you go outside and there are mosquitoes everywhere because that water becomes stagnant. It wasn't good for anything except for breeding these little <laughs> blood sucking hosts. Uh, the, 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 it's just, it wasn't good water. Is the church going to be described as good, as, 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 as water that is providing substance to the people that, that need it? Or is it going to be described as stagnant? When there's, there's lots of times that we see churches become that. Some churches enter into a downward spiral until they, they no longer exist. 
Sometimes that's because they shift from a church that is, is recognized as following the authority of Christ, a church that is trying and striving to do His will, to a church that is trying and striving to do the will of, of man, the will of, of opinion, the will of tradition. Sometimes that describes a church that just, that just stops, that just gives up. And along the way, they dwindle and they, they, they grow smaller and smaller until eventually they are forced to completely close the doors and, and, and that church no longer exists. These are catastrophes. These are not small problems. These are, these are big problems. But we can avoid these catastrophes by understanding two very important principles or two very important causes that, is, that, that lend themselves to church growth. And they must be understood and they must be applied if that's what we desire to do here at the Lake Street Church of Christ. If we desire to grow in Christ, to grow His kingdom into a, and bring other people into His fold, we need to understand these two causes. The first one is cooperation. Cooperation, that's that thing that, that we tell our, our kids we're trying to teach them when we put them in, in group sports. When we put you in group sports, you have to learn to play as a team. But of course, then when they get out there, we're screaming, you, you be number one, you be the best, you, you play the, the hardest. Cooperation, you know, that idea of all of, the, all of the parts working together. Church growth is strengthened when that happens. When each member is doing their part, you remember what we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, that last little bit, that when every part is working together, we will see growth. And sometimes we like to say to ourselves, well, I just don't have a part. You know, I see that there, there are parts that this person has and parts that this person has, but I, I really just don't have a part. And that's not what the Bible tells us. We all have a function. We all have a role to fill. Look over in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And read with me verses 3 through 8. Here Paul says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body... But all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. What did Paul say? What did Paul say in verse 6 of that passage? It says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Notice he didn't say, having gifts that a few of us have been given, having gifts that, that the elite have been given, you know, the, the cream of the crop, having their, the, you, we got to know how to use our gifts. He says, us. He's talking about the group. He's talking about the whole here. He's saying each and every one of us has something, has an ability, has a talent, has something that we can add, some part that we can play in the growth of the church. You might think to yourself, well, well what is that part? And the answer for me personally is I don't know. I can't always see that part, but I can guarantee you this. You have something. You have something that makes you valuable to the church. And sometimes we get that idea that says, no, no, I don't. 
I'm just not important. I'm not important. I can't add anything. But that is the exact opposite of what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. Right off the bat, Paul is, is beginning this thought that says, Yes, every part, all the members, every one of them is what makes up the one body. So they are all, by, by that point alone, they are important. But for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, matter, uh, no much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Each and every one of us in the body has a very important, has a very vital has a very significant part to play. No matter how, how large or how small we might think that part is, it is needed and it is necessary. I know I've used this illustration before, but you picture somebody like, like Scott Coleman. Well, I wish he was here to, to, for, for me to pick on today. I'll have to pick on him in his absence. But you think of somebody like Scott Coleman, great big Scott Coleman. Got hands that just wrap your hand up when he goes to shake your hand. A great big hand, you think, man... There's a lot of power there. And you, in the job that he has, you have to be pretty strong. He's got big biceps, big muscles. You think, man, there's a lot, that, that's a lot of power there. But you know what Scott wouldn't be? He wouldn't be strong. He wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be big. He wouldn't be able to do any of the things that he did if he didn't have his elbow. I think, how many times have we thought and stopped and thought, man, my elbow is important. I give a lot of time and a lot of thought to my elbow. Right now, I give a lot of time and thought to my elbow because it hurts all the time. <laughs> but, but we have to really stop and think. If Scott couldn't somehow get food to his mouth, he wouldn't have grown that big. And without that elbow to bend your arm, it all of a sudden becomes really hard to take a spoonful of, I don't know, meat and potatoes or whatever it is that Scott eats and get that to your mouth. Uh, this is just a really, a really silly, really... We think, well, there's no way that we would ever say, I can live without my elbow. Maybe we throw the food up in the air and catch it. I don't know. But we have to have our elbow. Scott has to have that elbow to grow. Each and every member is vitally important to the body. And so we need to remember that and we need to grow together, each one doing our parts. We need to look within ourselves and say, I know I have something that I can add. I need to be working on that. Maybe my talents aren't fully realized yet. Maybe it's something that I can grow in. I remember when I, when I first started preaching, I was scared to death to do anything more than a, than a Wednesday night invitation. But somebody had told me, that's something that you can do. Somebody had said, you're important to, to the congregation. And somebody had challenged me to grow that and to work on that. So maybe we need to look at our own talents and say, maybe, maybe this is something that I'm not exceptionally great at right now, but I can work on it. I can grow hard, I can, I, can, I can grow stronger, and I can help to add that to the work that is going on in the congregation, whether it be service, 
Whether it be leading a prayer, whether it be singing, whether it be encouraging, whatever it is, I'm going to find my ability. I'm going to find my talent. And I'm going to work to do my part together, cooperating, because that helps to grow the church. Another thing that we need to notice is each member must draw strength from the head, from Jesus. Remember, we read that over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, that 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 strength comes from God. It comes from being, being attached to Jesus as the body is attached to the head. Over in Philippians chapter 2, we read that that happens as a direct uh, indwelling of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as, have, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. He goes on to say in chapter 4, in verse 13, a passage we're all probably well familiar with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to be drawing from that strength that Christ offers, that, that, that recognizing that the, the works that we do, when we, when we put our mind to following God and to serving Him, that it is God working through us. And that He is providing strength for us to do those things. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16. Paul writes to the Ephesians here saying, he, That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. God is working even still today to give us the strength that we need if we would just, we would just reach out for that strength. If we would, we would ask Him to strengthen us. When every member is desiring to not do things on his own. Not to say, I'm, I'm going to somehow muscle through this, and I'm going, to, I'm going to make this work. But rather saying, I need God's help. I need God's strength. I need God's, God, uh, his, his patience and His, his boldness, and, and I, I need His humility. I need God working within me if this is going to work. Then we're going to see that the growth of that church is strengthened. Ephesians, 13, or Ephesians 3 verse 20 goes on to say, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We can't really, we can't really put a limit. We can't put a, a, a mark on, on the measuring stick of God's power. Whenever we, we start to think, you know, this is, this is about all we can do here. In, in this community. This is about all that we can do here uh, for the work of the Lord. We're starting to put a mark. We're starting to say that's, that's, that we, we have reached the extent that we can go, but not if we are drawing on the strength of God. Not if we are, we are trusting in His power and His might and the power of His Word, which is what we are to be taking to others. That power is exceedingly abundantly more than what we can fathom. And so we need to be relying on that strength. But Christ also wants us to rely on one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you are enriched in everything by Him in all utterance, <clears throat> And all knowledge. 
I'm sorry, I meant to read 2 Corinthians. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Sometimes you're reading something and go, that's just not at all what I wanted to say. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Who was Paul talking to? It's a very important question we need to ask ourselves any time we study uh, any, any of Paul's epistles. But any time we, we study anything from the Bible, we must remember the context. Who is, who is being d- discussed here? Who is being talked to? What are the circumstances around their lives and, the, and, their, and their background? And when we read this letter to the Corinthians, we need to be thinking of a city that is filled, that is spewing over with filth, with trash, with all sorts of spiritual wickedness, and a church that is not well established. Sometimes I think we read these things and think, well, these people have been Christians just for all their lives, and, and these things that Paul says to them, they, they certainly must have, have had great understanding of the Scriptures and great understanding of, 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 of the, the law and the prophets and things that he references in the Old Testament. These churches had not been around for, for 20 and 30 and 40 years. In fact, the time of the first letter to the Corinthians, they might not have been around but maybe two or three years. These are still young Christians, and, and they are Christians that came from all sorts of walks of life. In 1 Corinthians, we understand that some of them had been murderers. Some of them had been homosexuals. Some of them had been thieves. Some have been idolatrous. They've been covetous. All these different descriptions that they had been. And Paul says, you know what? You people, you Christians who, who came from, from such, such wild and wicked backgrounds, you can comfort and you can strengthen one another. Now, I don't say this to make us think, well, we are somehow better than them. Because we understand no sin is above another. We, we, we are just as bad as, the, as they were. Uh, even if all we have ever done is told a lie, we have committed sins worthy of, of death. But when Paul speaking to such, such young Christians, Christians who, who had so many different types of problems, who, who were, were getting so many things wrong, even when they thought they were getting things right. And he says to them, you can strengthen one another. You can comfort one another. You can build one another up. Does that not say something to you and to me as well, that we have that ability as well to lift up one another, to help draw strength from one another? <clears throat> when a church is nourished from above, that is, that when, it, when a church relies upon the strength which only God can supply, and when a church is nourished from within, when they are turning to one another and they are drawing strength and being picked up and built up by one another, when that is happening, I want to tell you that that congregation is bound to grow. They are going to see growth there. Maybe, maybe it's just spiritual growth, but that is not to be looked down upon. That is not to be thought of as, as not worthy. But I guarantee you there will be growth in a congregation such as that. But these are things that strengthen church growth. There are things that stifle church growth as well. When members do not do their part, 
When members say that they give in to the lie that Satan says that you, you just can't do nothing here, you can't add anything here. When members say I, I'm just too I'm, I'm too afraid or I'm, I'm I'm not good enough to do those things. When that happens, whenever members just don't pitch in and do what they can to help, that church is handicapped. That church is is running with an arm tied behind its back right from the get go because of non-functioning members. So that church can't, per, uh, it can't perform to its full potential. It can't be everything that God wants it to be because there are members that aren't doing what they can do. And when members, other members have to make up the difference in that, when other members have to go and try to pick up where, where, where another member could be working but they choose not to, instead of building one another up, we are adding burdens to others. We are putting weights on other, on other members and on other parts of the body. Right now, with the, the, the things that are going on in, in, in my body and the, with, with the parasite, there are certain parts of the bodies that are much more taxed than other parts of the bodies because of the things that they cannot do. That puts a burden on them, and that makes them weak, makes them tired. Likewise, whenever other members are having to, to take on more, more work and more weight because of the, the lack of function that other members might have, they sometimes become disheartened. They sometimes grow weary, as we'll talk about in a moment. They sometimes give up. When members won't do their part, a church cannot grow as God intended. That's the first cause. That's the first principle that we need to remember, that we need to be working together. We need to cooperate. We need to look to one another. We need to say to ourselves, how can I help him and her? And, and how can we work together? What can I do to add to this so that the church might grow? The second principle might call it forbearance or might just say to, to bear up. We need to understand that as well. It's a phrase that I was very, very popular when I, whenever I was in high school, uh, especially amongst the, the, the country boys that I ran around with. Phrase was, you just got to cowboy up. You got to cowboy up. You, gotta, you just got to grin and bear it, and you got to do it. We were watching a, a show the other day, me and Holly, about a, a, a football team. And, and the, the running back had, had taken a really bad hit, and he was hurt, and he's sitting in there in the very end of the game. And the, the coach comes to him, and he says, it's now or never. I know you're hurting. Do you got one more in you? He said, can, can, can you just, can you get up? Can you do what you, what you can do? Can you do what you know you have to do, even though it's not the most comfortable thing? Was well, that what we're talking about here? Is that the kind of bearing up we're talking about? Maybe not in every sense of the word, but yeah, that's kind of what bearing up looks like. It looks like smiling and grinning and, and taking the discomfort and taking the, the pain that might come from the work that we've been called to do. And the church is going to be strengthened when these things happen. When the strong begin to understand the weaknesses in others. Let me tell you, turn over to Proverbs 14 for a moment. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 4 has, a, has just a, a really, really wonderful passage to keep a, a congregation focused on what they should be focused on. If the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, we talked about last, last week about remembering what our work is. If a church is evangelizing the way it's supposed to be evangelizing, 
If it's going out into the community and it's going out to, to friends and to neighbors and to relatives and saying, saying, you know, you know what we teach over there at the Lake Street Church of Christ? We teach that Jesus, He exists. He's the Son of God. He loves you. He died for your sins. And we, we would just love if you would come and you'd, you'd study with us. If you'd come and you'd maybe praise Him for a while with us. If we would spend some time evangelizing the way we're supposed to be evangelized, you know what's going to happen? You're going to wind up with people who respond and people who know very little about the Bible but know a whole lot about their need for Christ. We like to call them babes in Christ sometimes. And when you know what? We shouldn't be surprised whenever we find people like that and then come to the understanding that those people are very weak. Maybe they've been involved with a, a church of some sort for all their lives. Maybe they've never stepped foot in the door of a church building ever until then. But oftentimes they're going to have aspects of their lives that they need to grow in. Things that they're very weak in. And Proverbs 14 verse 4 says something really interesting. It says, where no oxen are, the trough is clean. But much increase comes by the strength of an ox. Sometimes we get it in our mind that our job as Christians is to have a clean, sparkling church. And certainly we want to be those who are robed in white. We don't want to have stains upon us as when Jesus speaks in Revelation in the letters to the churches. He says, some of you have soiled your garments. We don't want that to describe us. But we spend so much time trying to make sure that everything is absolutely perfect that we go to the extent that we say, you know what? The messes that come that we're dealing with, those messes are caused by the oxen. Let's just push the oxen right on out the door. Let's not allow the oxen to come in the door to begin with. Young Christians, new Christians, those who are first coming to Christ, they bring messes with them. They bring baggage. They bring misunderstandings. They bring ungodly lives. And we need to see those things and we need to say, you know what? We're going to work on that. We're going to get in there and we're going to get messy too. We're going to get our hands dirty because there's work that needs to be done to bring them to where they need to be. Now the problem is sometimes we look at these at, at a passage and we say, you know what? I'm going to label myself here. Uh, I remember when I, when I used to work at, at Lockheed Martin. For some reason they, they ordered, I don't remember the exact purpose for this, but they ordered a label maker. And you would have thought it was Christmas morning. We labeled absolutely everything in that warehouse. We labeled the refrigerator. We labeled computers. We labeled screwdrivers. If you could stick a sticky tape to it, we put a label on it. We had a field day. And you know what? A lot of times as Christians, we have that same sort of mindset. I'm going to label things, and I'm going to label myself in a passage uh, that tells me to, to bear with the, the, uh, the weaknesses of the weak. I'm, gonna, I'm the strong one. I'm the one that's in this position. You're the one that's in that position. We need to be careful with the labeling. Because points of passages such as we'll read in Romans chapter 15 verses 1 and 2, as we talk about the strong remembering their duty towards the weak, points of passage like that is not to, to point out who's in which position. It's to point out the work that is entitled for both parties. 
There is work to be done by both. A lot of times we need to recognize that new Christians, they don't have the things that maybe we have. Maybe they didn't grow up with good role models. Maybe they don't know what it means to have a a Christ-centered family. They don't know what it means uh, that they have duties as parents. They have responsibilities as husbands and wives. And it'll take time for them to learn these principles of godly living. And so as that learning takes place, we need not to stand up and say, I'm the strong one, and you just need to listen to what I have to say. We need to go realize that it might take us getting a little bit messy, not soiling our garments, not, not, not sinning so that we can somehow win others over, but willing to say that I will work with someone who is, is like me, someone who is imperfect, someone who maybe doesn't understand things as well as I do, I'm going to work with them. And I'm going to bear that up. I'm going to smile, and I'm going to grit, and I'm going to get down to helping them to see what God expects of them. That's remembering our duties towards the weak. Romans chapter 15 talks about that. Paul says, verses 1 and 2, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. He says the same thing in Galatians, or very similar things in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, talking about those who have been overtaken by a fault. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we consider ourselves, maybe that would be a really good time for us to, to kind of punch in there. Don't, don't print out that label. Don't print out strong and slap it on yourself. Don't let this puff you up because you have the opportunity to help someone who, who doesn't quite have the understanding that you have to help them to see. That doesn't make you any greater. That puts responsibility upon you. That puts a greater responsibility upon you than it might be upon them. But it doesn't make you better than them. It just changes what what is expected of you. We need to do these things not to please ourselves. And notice what it said there in Galatians 6. It's talking about those who are overtaken in faults. We're describing people. We're describing people who want to please God. We're describing people who want to serve God. Now, sometimes I think we get the idea that, that this is something that we are to, to, to kind of contribute to just absolutely every single person that we meet in our lives. And certainly some of these things are. We are to be patient. We are to be gentle. But specifically in, in Galatians chapter 6, it says that we are talking about a man who is overtaken in trespass. What does that mean to be overtaken? That's not someone who's walking down that path, walking towards heaven and looks off and says, you know what? That over there looks better. I'm going to go that way. I'm going to do that. that I, I'm, I'm taking my eyes off this. I'm not interested in this over here. Maybe it's, it may, maybe it's some sort of lust. Maybe it's some sort of, of, of crime or, or sin that God has just said that you have no part of. And they say, I'm going to do that. Because that's what I want to do. I'm not interested in what God says anymore. Well, that's not exactly the type of person that's talking about here. It's talking about someone who is overtaken. When you overtake somebody, this carries the idea of, of, of sneaking up on. 
passing up, coming from behind. I'm talking about someone who wants to please God, but they are in sin. Maybe they are looking to Him and they are, they are striving their best to do His will, but there's a part of their life that they, they just aren't really where they need to be. They're not strong in this part. And, and they, have, they have fallen time and time again. They have stumbled uh, in, in this area in their life. We need not look at that person and treat them as someone who just says, you know what, I, I'm, I, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't care what God has to say. We need to look at that person and we need to remember that one, this is not this is not what I want. It is not the, uh, the things that please me. I'm not trying to just do what, what makes me happy. What can I do to please my neighbor? What can I do to please this one who has been overtaken? How can I, how can I work with this person patiently and gently trying to, to, to help them back on the path, back on that straight and narrow way? What can I do to help them, to accommodate them so that we can grow together? That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 14. It says, We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Be that idea, that, that, that rebellious soul, that, that one that just turns away. says, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do what I think is right. I'm not worried about how, how, what God says. I'm going to go and do the things that I want to do. We need to warn those. We need to admonish them. We need to make sure that we set a, 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 a warning before them so that they know God's word has to say. Then it goes on to say we need to comfort the faint-hearted, those who are growing weak. Uphold them. Be patient with all. Growth comes out of weakness. Whenever you, you recognize your, the state that you are in, you know, we can't grow if we are just so convinced that we're, we're at the pinnacle. We can't grow when we think that we have, we have done everything that we can possibly do and we don't need any more. And so when we start to recognize people not as a lost cause, not as something just to, to give up on, something to, to walk away from, when we start to recognize people, when we start to recognize brothers who have, and sisters who have, fallen, have, have been overtaken as a weak brother or sister, as somewhere where there is room to growth, looking back to that last, that last cause, working together so that we can help them to grow up, doing our part so that we can help them to mature, relying upon the strength and the power of God and His Word, we will see growth. And again, not every time will it come the way we expect it. Just as it doesn't always come in numerical growth, sometimes it comes in spiritual growth. I guarantee you, as you, as you do these things and as you remember to walk in this way with the weak, maybe they don't grow. Maybe they stay right there where they are. Maybe they never change. But you will. You will. You will learn. And you will grow. When strong members bear with weak members, the help that is needed for the weak to become strong is provided through the church. But the church also can be, its growth can be stifled in the same sense when the strong become disillusioned. One of the things that Satan loves to do is he loves to take, take an image that looks right and present it before you, but there's, there's always going to be something a little wrong with it. There's going to be something a little bit off. 
When, he, when Jesus was in the wilderness, when he was walking in the wilderness, Satan took things that looked right. You take this rock, turn it into bread. That looks on the outside okay. Jesus can, he, he has the authority to, to perform miracles like that. He has the authority to eat bread. There's nothing wrong with that. Why is there something wrong with this then? He loves to take things and, and, and twist them just enough that this vision, this sight that he's put in front of you, it looks all right, but there's something off. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 tells us not to grow weary in doing good. But sometimes Satan loves to just put that image in front of you. That the good that you're doing, it's not working. The work that you're putting into to the kingdom, the work that you're putting into helping the congregation grow, the work that you're putting into spread God's word, that's good work. You're doing a great job. But it's just not working. It's not effective. You're all alone. Nobody's helping you. Nobody appreciates what you're doing. You should just give up. You should just quit. You should go somewhere else. You should do that somewhere else. You don't need to do that here anymore. See, oftentimes... What he gets us to be convinced of is the exact opposite of what God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Where we read, your labor is not in vain. The things that you're doing are worthwhile. So when, when, when Satan puts this, this idea in your mind that the things that I'm doing aren't appreciated. It's not working. It's, it's unfruitful. There's nobody else willing to help me. Nobody else willing to do this with me. I'm all alone. Remember what God says. Your labor is not in vain. Another issue that leads to the stifling of growth is when strong members lose their source of strength. Consider what we read about in Galatians chapter 5. Over in Galatians chapter 5, we, we read about what is typically called the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. That word in there, long-suffering, sometimes it's translated patience. We could all use a big dose of that, couldn't we? Something that we all need to be working on. Sometimes we... We get, get the idea, well, i, I got to increase my patience so I'll have the fruit of the Spirit. But notice that we're talking about those who are led by the Spirit. Those who are walking in the Spirit, as verse 16 says. If we are receiving our strength that we talked about a little while ago from God, from the head, then we are following after Him. We are being led by Him. and That will produce this in our lives. Sometimes we get the cart before the horse. We try to produce this so that we, we are following Christ, but rather if we follow Christ, this will be produced in us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10-11 through 11 says, It is a gift from God. So when we become disheartened, when you begin to look around you and think, I'm the only one doing anything, nobody, nobody is, is even noticing the work I'm doing, that could be an indication that there's some trouble in your lives. Because I want you to remember what Ephesians 3 verse 20 told us. God's strength is unlimited. It's unfathomable. We, 
able to do far beyond what we can abundantly and, and abundantly beyond what we can even begin to dream up. So we may be depending more upon our own strength and less upon His. We need the reminder that Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 13 gives us to look to Him for our strength. Verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. Put on His armor, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand, or may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the, dark, uh, the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Sometimes we forget. And this leads to us being disheartened and disillusioned. Sometimes we forget that the joy of serving the Lord is found in the joy of serving the Lord. It's for His sake alone. Even if we do it by ourselves. Even if, even if no one comes up and says thank you. We have had that opportunity to serve God. It's kind of like going out to a restaurant and ordering a, a bowl of ice cream. and they, they bring it out and there's no cherry on top. We're going to slide that back across the table and say, uh-uh, I don't think so. If I can't have the cherry, I don't want any of it. I think most of us are going to enjoy that bowl of ice cream because it's a bowl of ice cream. We can't lose our perspective. We must remember there will always be those who are weak. As I said before, dealing with them is necessary training. Even if you're not getting what you feel like you need on the outside, if you're not getting the, the encouragement that you feel you need, recognize this, you're getting the training that you definitely need. Men, as you work with the weak, you are training yourself up to be future shepherds. Elders, bishops, you're helping yourself to be able to help somebody else, to begin to teach others. Women, whenever you work with the weak and you bear up under that, it can sometimes be difficult, sometimes be hard. You're training yourselves up to do so, to teach another generation to, to follow in, the, in those same footsteps. If the strong members, though, if they become the weak, where does that leave the church? It cannot grow. Now, we've considered two principles of church growth. Each part must do its share. The strong must bear with the weak. Certainly there are other causes of growth. But we need to consider what can we be doing to help the Lord's church grow? Are we fulfilling our function in the body of Christ? Are we sharing in the work of the church? Are we growing as we should in the service of the Lord? Are we bearing up with the weak? Are we looking to God for strength? 
to avoid the disillusionment that Satan strives so hard to bring. As I started this sermon out, absolutely church growth is attributed to God. He provides the increase. But if you desire to be a part of that and to help the church grow, there's one thing you must know to begin with. And that is you have to first become a part of the church. In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, after, after explaining to, to the people there on, on the day of Pentecost that they had not only that they had not only taken an innocent man, had him illegally tried, abused, humiliated, handed over to the Romans to be put to death, had the opportunity to swap him out with Barabbas, but but rather their, their hatred for this man burned through. They, they demanded he be killed. Having been told and come to the realization that the man that they had done this to is none other than the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus who had now been raised up, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, to as many as the Lord our God will call, And we read in verse 41, Then those who gladly received his words were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Were added to the church on that day. That, that is the origin of the church which Christ built. And verse 47 goes on to say, And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. So the question is, are you saved? Whenever we have that moment where we realize passages like, like Romans chapter 6 and verse, verse 23, which says, for the wages of sin is death. We realize that's talking about me. If I've not been saved, that's talking about me. That's talking about the sin that is in my life. It is causing my death. Sometimes physically, but, but we're talking about spiritual death here. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We looked at that and we realized that. We need to ask ourselves, what shall I do? What must I do to receive this, this free gift of eternal life? What must I do to be free from this, this sin that is causing my death? The answer in Romans 6.23 was to be in Christ. The free gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 
says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The end of verse 28 goes on to say, For you are all one in Christ. Baptism is not is, is not some magical formula that if you you do that, you've you've somehow cracked the code. You you have earned your way into heaven. None of us can do that. We do not merit our salvation. It is a gift from God. It is by His grace that we are saved. But He said to receive it, we must be in Christ. He's not just giving it to anybody. He's giving it to those who are in Christ. Anybody can receive it. But to receive it, you must be in Christ. 1 Peter 3.21 tells us, Now baptism does save us. Not by removing the dirt from the flesh, but by an appeal to God for a clean conscience. We must, like the men on Pentecost, look to ourselves and realize that we are in sin. Then we must look to God and realize that He is the only solution to that sin. Through the price that His Son paid on the cross. Following in Him in obedience... We must turn away from our selfish desires, from following the will of the world. We must repent and look to Him. We must confess that we believe He is the Son of God, not being ashamed. And we must become like Him, buried in baptism, putting to death that old man of sin, rising up as a new creature. If we can help you with that this morning, you should know that we, come, we, we stand ready to assist. I encourage you, please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.